Oh, wow. What a, a, a great start. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here and an honour honor to be uh, talking about this subject. I had a, a sabbatical um, at the beginning of uh, last year and, uh, and spent about seven or eight weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount and particularly the Beatitudes. And, and I just absolutely loved doing that. And, um, and, and so it's, it's great to be here today. Um, so, and whilst, just before I start, let me take my watch off so that I keep to time. Um, you know, I know I'm talking about treasures and possessions today. But I don't know about you, but the greatest things that, uh, not that we own, uh, in the Margaret and I have, is our family, isn't it? And you kind of think that for your family, there isn't anything that you wouldn't do to help them. There isn't anything that, any, any asset that you have that you wouldn't sell if they needed it, if they were in need, you'd care for them. And, and it, just as we were worshipping, it just occurred to me how much God feels like that towards us. And as you'll see, uh, as I'll share, um, this is a question of value. The value that we place upon ourselves and the value we place upon God and and the value we place upon our assets. And so, right, before I get distracted, okay, um, Treasures in heaven. So just quickly, two minutes for a quick recap. Um, in Matthew 3, we've seen Jesus, and you've probably heard all this so many times as you've looked into the Sermon on the Mount. Bear with me if there's anyone new that hasn't heard. Matthew 3, Jesus has been baptised, and um, I love the fact that he's, he's baptised and the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus And God just can't help himself like a wonderful father that's just brimming with pride over his son. He just can't help himself. He shouts out from heaven, this is my son. With him, I'm well pleased. Whom I love. And you just, I just love that. Because Jesus hasn't started his ministry yet. And it's not about what he does, even though it is, I suppose it is, what he goes on to do, but his father's love is there for who he is, not what he does. And, and, and the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about righteousness, right living before God. It's not about what happens on the outward appearance, it's all about what's going on inside. So Jesus is then led into the desert for 40, 40 days. And, and he comes out, the, de- the devil throws everything at him. And he comes out of the desert. He gives the, desert, uh, the devil a, uh, a beating. Everything that the devil throws at him. And I just couldn't help thinking that the echo back into Genesis where Satan said to Eve, well, did God say... And Jesus turns to the devil with all of the temptations and says, this is what God says, it is written. 
And the devil has no response. And Jesus comes out of the desert after 40 days, and full of the Holy Spirit. And he's like a herald coming out of the desert, declaring that the kingdom of God is breaking into the earth. That the presence of God, that God is here with his people. And declaring, and he starts this most amazing healing ministry. It's so amazing that people from Syria, from all other countries around, are willing to come over and see who is this Jesus. What an amazing, if this healing kind of ministry happened these days, it'd be on the news, it'd be all over the place. Who is this Jesus? But then, in Matthew 5, he tells us, he draws his disciples aside, he stops this healing ministry, and he delivers this flagship teaching. It's like um, the most amazing, Jesus had all this time to really encapsulate the... um, The um, theologian John Stott said that the Sermon on the Mount contains the essence of Jesus' teaching. It's the fundamental nature, a perfect, complete form of it. Or something that, in essence, is the properties in concentrated form. And for me, these are pretty good definitions of the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about righteousness and righteousness of our hearts. Now, I have to stop myself at this point because I know that if I went into the Beatitudes, I'd never get onto the passage. So, here we are, Matthew 6, within the Sermon on the Mount, verses 19 to 34. So let's read this and then look at it. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body if the eyes are good then your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are bad then your whole body will be full of darkness If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell tell you, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow. I don't know about you, but those are really challenging words. And at first glance, those first three parables look like they're straight out of Proverbs, out of the wisdom literature. They seem to have little or no connection. But the whole thing about the Sermon on the Mount is that the more you dive into it, the more you look into it, the more it opens out to you. On the first reading, it looks like they have little or no connection. But as you look into the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, you'll find that the whole, it will open up a whole uh, vista of different aspects. And you'll find that actually, you'll never ever be able to come to the end of them. Every time I look into this, these passages, I find new things that I've never seen before. So they seem quite cryptic. But Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's taken them up onto a hill and he's looking to change their thinking. And that is what God wants to do for us. The Greek word metanoia means to change your mind. We use it for the word repent, but God wants to change our thinking. He wants to draw us up. He wants us to stop trusting in things that are temporary and to put our trust in him, in his kingdom, something that is eternal. And these passages are challenging because they challenge us Every single day. Every single day. So, with the, <clears throat> with the Sermon on the Mount, we had Jesus starting about how we pray, how we fast, how we give. And now he's looking at how we live. What do we treasure? What do we focus on? And who do we Serve, But before I dive into those three parables, I'd actually like to look at verses 25 to 34 first. Because in those verses, I find that Jesus tells us something quite amazing. He tells us three things not to worry about. He tells us, verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat and drink. Do not worry about your body, what you will wear. And do not worry, verse 34, about tomorrow. Because each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I don't know about you, um, but if you've got kids, as we've talked about this evening, uh, this morning... Um, that, that's, isn't that amazing? When I'm, when I'm preaching in the hub, we meet at four o'clock and we moved from 
10.30 to 4 o'clock. And I couldn't stop saying, good morning. And now I'm back in the morning and I'm saying, good evening. Oh, I just cannot win. Oh, brain. But, back, anyway, sorry for those listening on the tape. Stop ranting. Um, There's a call here to live differently. Verse, chapter 5, verse 20 says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These were the religious people of the time. And Jesus is saying, look, your righteousness has to be different. There's a call to live differently. And here in these passages, Jesus is, he's, he's told us that we shouldn't live like the scribes and the Pharisees. Now we're told that we shouldn't live like the pagans. There's a call for us to live differently. And that's what the gospel does to our hearts. It changes our character. It changes the way we think about things. So we're called to be different. But just to be clear, when it talks about not worrying, this is not salavi, what will be, will be, or manana, what we can put off till tomorrow. It's a call to live at a different level. To seek first his kingdom and not seek the things, even though God knows that we, what we need but to rise above. Verse 32 says that God knows that we need these things. It's, got, it's about what's going on in our hearts. Do we trust him? And from these verse, verses, righteousness looks like, before God, refusing to be anxious, refusing to worry. A right way to live before God looks like refusing to live life, worrying about our lives, worrying about our bodies, being anxious about tomorrow. Now, I don't know about you, I find that a pretty big ask. You know, we had a a message from my son this morning uh, on WhatsApp. He's in Australia, which we didn't really, didn't like him going over there, but You know, he got married, what can you do? And uh, he fell in love and went back to Australia. And he sent us a text this morning to say, oh, I had a close one this evening, it's it's nine hours, ten hours ahead. And uh, he was driving through a crossroads and passed through the crossroads and a drunk driver must have just crossed behind him and caused an accident and there were, you know, police cars all over the place. You know, if you've got kids, as we've talked about this morning, you know, we think about our kids, we pray about our kids every single day. You know, it's the, 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 there probably is, it's very rare that we don't lift our kids before the Lord and pray for them. You know, if you've ever faced the prospect of losing your job, if you've ever faced the prospect of um, illness... 
You know, if you've ever faced financial worries, not being anxious about that and not worrying is extremely difficult. You know, believe you me, I've faced all of those. And and so this call to live differently, just think about it. How would your life change be changed if you didn't live uh, or didn't have anxious thoughts or worries. And somehow Jesus is saying to us, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't live like the pagans worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to feed on, what you're going to wear. As I was preparing for today, I came across some effects of anxiety and I thought I'd just read out a few the effects of anxiety on your mind feeling tense, nervous or unable to relax having a sense of dread or fearing the worst feeling like people can see your anxiousness looking at you feeling like you can't stop worrying or that bad things will happen if you stop worrying worrying about anxiety itself Low mood and depression. Gosh, the effects. This is the effects of anxiety on our bodies. A churning feeling in your stomach, a feeling lightheaded or dizzy, pins and needles, feeling restless or unable to sit still, headaches, backaches or other aches and pains, faster breathing, sweating or hot flushes, sleep problems. I mean, it just goes on. The other effects, having difficulty looking after yourself, holding down a job, forming or maintaining relationships, trying new things, simply enjoying your leisure time. Now, I'm, you know, I looked into this, you know, I'm just not going to say this is not easy. This is a tough ask. Living life free from anxiety and worry. It is massive. It affects our well-being. It stops us from... It commands our thoughts. It stops us from enjoying life. And Jesus knows what we need. Jesus knows that each day has enough trouble of his own. And so he calls us to take our eyes off our worries. And he says to us, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. And when I read that, I don't know about you, I think, really? Don't you see what I'm going through? You know, um, in 2014, um, I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. Um, I had to sit in these clinics where I was surrounded. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to I'm not going to insult anybody now. But I was the youngest man there. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I shouldn't be here. And I had to go through, um, what is it? Let me, 
two MRIs, two biopsies, one CT scan, and everything that goes with that. And at every stage, you're flooded with thoughts of, God, what if? What if? What is going to happen? And in 2015, I had the operation, an operation to remove the cancer. And I thought it was dealt with until 2021 when I had uh, 32 sessions of radiotherapy. That's really good fun. Um, not recommended. And, uh, but it's okay. Because God walked with me. You know, I lead a team uh, that go out to the streets and pray for healing and, um, and we were out yesterday, I might tell you about that in a minute. And, and so I prayed for God to heal me. And I'd like to think he'd have done it instantaneously, but God doesn't work all like that all the time. He walked with me through it. And at every stage, I knew that he was holding my hand. And one day, I was praying... And he said to me, I just felt this whisper into my ear. He said, read Isaiah 46, verse 3. And I thought to myself, what's that? I have no idea what that is. What on earth is that phrase, that, that, those verses? And I read this. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All of you... Oh my God. All you, sorry, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you, I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Now, it's easy for me to say, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything that you need will be added to you. But when we seek God first, when we open our hearts to him, he'll whisper into our ears, the passages and verses that we need to hear. He'll lead us. He'll he'll help us. He'll put in our place nurses who who will speak to you verses of scripture um, when you're in your medical appointments, like he did for me. And I'm sat there thinking, this person shouldn't really be doing this. If I complained, they could lose their job over what they're doing now. And, of course, I didn't. Because I appreciated it. It was God holding my hand. And I suppose that is the essence of what I'm trying to communicate this evening. Is that when we seek God first, when we seek after him, he will provide everything that we need. Even though we might be in a place of anxious thoughts, of worry... And he'll fill us with his peace. That peace that guards our heart and mind. When I had my radiotherapy, I had 
five minutes while the beam was passing over my torso. I, had, I could recite those verses by memory twice and before the beam finished and then I'd run off and get changed. And, and just having that peace, God, you've promised that you're going to rescue me. You, you've promised that you're going to sustain me. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm, I give it back to you. So he brings his peace. You know, our society is so full of anxiety and worries. We went out onto the streets just yesterday and, the, and we'd only just set up and the first young lady that came up to me asked me to pray about her anxious thoughts. She must have been, I don't know, uh, early 20s. Um, we prayed for a man about his daughter. We prayed about for a, a woman, for her son, who was coming back from Mexico and she hadn't heard, or she, he was supposed to be coming back, she hadn't heard whether or not he'd got his flight yet. She didn't think he had. But all around us, there are people who are anxious about something. And God calls us to live differently. He calls us to rise above, to seek him and allow him to fill our hearts with his peace and lead us so that we can share his love and his, um, his word and his life with other people around us. He calls us to look at the birds. Why? Because God cares for them. God cares for his creation. And we're worth so much more. You are worth so much more. So, why does he start these three uh, this passage with these three parables because he goes on to tell us about worrying and he says therefore don't worry so to me when I look at this there has to be some connection with the first three parables as it were and um, with the fact that they people are worrying so let's just have a look at those Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves... Oh, that was nice. And where um, thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So clearly, Jesus is after our hearts and um, I spoke to Greg yesterday I'll throw this in Greg hope you don't mind I, I thought I'm not, a, I'm not a Greek scholar but I'd looked at the words store up and treasure and they come from the same root word where we get, where we get our word thesaurus and, and I looked at them I thought well maybe you could translate it meaning do not treasure 
treasures. But in those days, the fact that you accumulate stuff means that actually you're only going to accumulate stuff that you treasure. So it's the very act of storing up something means that you treasure it. And I don't know about you, but we've seen across the world circumstances where natural disasters can, can, can take people's whole livelihoods, possessions, everything they have in an absolute instant. And Jesus, I, I love this, these verses because... It's, I've never, I, I can't, I've never realised how logical Jesus was. I mean, this is the best logical argument that that I can kind of find in Scripture. You know, Jesus is giving a good logical argument why we shouldn't store up stuff on Earth that is only going to get that's going to get corroded with rust, might have natural um, moths, is is the natural disasters, and and um, so. Everything on our earth is going to get eroded and is going to cease to exist at some point in the future. And Jesus is just laying a good logical argument in saying, well, why do you store up these things? Don't store up stuff that's going to just wear out. Store up stuff that's going to be eternal. Now, I know that that's a really big ask. I mean, I worked in finance and my whole job was helping people to accumulate money so that they could live in retirement. And, and that, was, that was the majority of my work, uh, helping people to live when they, when they... So I know, and I think God knows that we all accumulate stuff. God is not telling us to not accumulate stuff. All he's trying to do is to lift our eyes to say, well... Accumulate stuff that is worth, that is eternal. That is, that's never going to get destroyed. And, And so he's raising the bar. He knows it's in our nature to store up stuff. Let's fix our hearts on things that are not going to be destroyed by nature or corrosion or stolen by thieves. Let's fix our hearts on things that are eternal. Jesus knows what we need. He knows we need the normal stuff. And as we seek him first, he promises that he'll provide what we need. So what about the next? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
on first reading, you think, this is quite cryptic. Another way of looking at this for me would be that the eye is the light of the body. The eyes give light to the soul. You know, in the first century, they used to think that if the eyes were healthy, somebody was sincere or generous or helpful, had good integrity. But if somebody had bad eyes, then the opposite was true. Now, we might look at it slightly differently. We'd see the eyes in terms of the iris, you know, the lens, you know. We see it as a biological kind of thing, how we see. But it comes back to our hearts, how we, um, what is in our hearts. So for me, this verse is all about our vision. What are we looking at? What we look at feeds our hearts, and out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we put into our eyes has an impact about what comes out. So if we're focused on our treasures, then that's what will come out. In um, Ephesians 1.18, the Apostle Paul put it like that, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, that you may know three things. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, And his incomparably great power for us who believe. What we look at matters. And finally, pointing the no one can serve two masters. He will hate the hate the one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you look at the words, you could change serve to be slave. And you could change masters for lord. So you cannot be a slave to two lords. And the word money, um, it's, it's translated for us as money, but actually it comes from a Greek word that actually means um, possessions, property, and wealth. It's much wider than money. And for me, this parable talks about loving one and hating the other. That's a pretty strong word. I'd rather put it, well, I mean, far be it from me to make corrections. Um, I don't mean it quite like that. What I'm trying to say is that it's about loving one more and loving the other less. Making an active decision in our hearts. God, we put you first. God, help me not to put this first, help me to put it, I give it back to you, I lay it before you. Lord, will you have your way? 
help me, oh God. This is a lifetime journey. This is not something that you can do once. This is something that happens whenever we get tempted over wealth, possessions and property. We continually have to place things at the feet of Jesus. And if you think you don't have to do that, then let me... I'm I'm sorry. I hope I'm not going to disappoint you. But at some point, everything gets tested. Everything gets tested. My health has been tested. My finances have been tested. We have to face everything we have to lay at the feast of Jesus. And actually, the hardest thing that I've found hasn't been finance. It's being with my, my kids. And that's what I'd like to come back to. But, you know, Jesus um, says to us, um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. God is a great God. He's a great Father. He loves us and he wants to provide for us. He wants to bless us. But these parables, as I've mentioned before, are all about value. What we treasure is about what our hearts value. What we spend time looking at. We might not realise it, but what we spend time looking at is what we value. And what we serve, or what we're a slave to, is what we value. And the question is, do our hearts realise and understand how much God values us? How much he cares for us? How much he knows us and he knows what we need? We can put our trust in him every day. To seek him first and his righteousness, how we should live, how, what righteous living looks like before him. It means being proactive, setting our hearts on him, relinquishing things that we treasure to him. Fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Learning to love him more and our wealth, our property, our possessions. Learning to put those in their place and love those less. God knows that we accumulate stuff. And he actually doesn't tell us, don't accumulate stuff. But all he's doing is asking us to lift our gaze to him, actually see what is more valuable and pursue that. And I don't know about you, but I kind of think that um, if we could just see um, how God loves the people around us, how he loves them, how he values them, that might transform how um, our view of Treasures. So when the evil one, when you suffer uh, some issue, 
when he tries to fill your hearts with doubts, anxiety and fears. Just allow the Spirit of God to centre in your heart. Allow him to speak to you as he did for me. Allow his peace to guard that, your heart and mind, refusing to be anxious or to worry. Now, I know it's a big ask. I mean, I, I, I know it's a big ask. But somehow, we have to rise above. When I worked in finance, I'll draw to a close, the number of times on a Friday night, my bosses would call me, they'd got a problem with one of the cases that I'm working on, and I'm the, you know, I'm the person leading the, the, the kind of project or whatever, so they'd always look to me as though it was my fault. And Friday afternoon would always be the time, about 4.30 to 5 o'clock, that worst time in the week where you get a problem, land on your desk, and suddenly everybody else is gone. And you'd have the whole weekend to stew on this problem. And, and the number of times I'd lie awake at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking, was it my fault? Have I done something wrong? What's happened? Who, who, who did I send this letter to? Who did I do that? And it would go over my mind time and time again. And eventually, you know, about an hour after that, I'd realise, what on earth am I doing? I can't do anything. It's four o'clock in the morning. There's nothing I can do about it. And I had to physically tell myself, I refuse to think about this anymore. And learning to dispel those worries... And then you get to work on, on Monday morning and obviously it's the first thing you deal with because you've had a whole weekend to stew about it. And, and you know, and you find, oh, you get it sorted like ASAP. But it's just the fact that your mind will go over and over these things. You know, just coming back to where we started. My kids... And I just felt as we were, as we were worshipping, I'd really like to, uh, as I draw to a close, I'd really like to pray. If you're, if you're struggling with something that, that is anxious, um, you know, anxiety or worries, then I'd really, really love to pray for you. But, you know, just that thing about our kids. If, you've, if you're struggling with something that your children are going through, then, again, I think that would be really, really good for us to pray. It is the peace of God that fills us and guards our hearts and minds. There's a couple of scriptures. Philippians 4, Paul put it like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Last one is gone, so we'll call it a day there.
But I'd just like to, I'd like to pray, but again, if there's anyone that, that, that needs prayer, I'd love to pray with you. So let's just, let me pray. Father, we come before you. You know all the things that we treasure in our hearts, all the things that we look at. Father, we, we just want to worship you. We thank you that you're such a good God, that you love us, that you're such a great Father. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to not serve the things, our possessions, our property, our wealth. Help us to serve you, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, I ask, that you'd help us to uh, seek first you. That when the anxieties and stresses and worries fill our hearts, that you would be the first place that we come to. Because, Lord, you know what we need before we ask. Father, will you help us to come to you first, to seek you, Jesus, first? Will you help us to lay down all the things that we treasure and put them in their place? And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd share your word with us, that you'd uh, help us, Lord, that when we do have anxious thoughts or worries, that you would bring your peace to fill our hearts and minds, and that, Lord, you'd help us to lift our gaze to you so that we can see your heart for those people around us, and are not consumed about things that actually you want to provide for us. We call upon you, Lord, that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen.